Hey, welcome to the table, everyone, and happy Mother's Day. My name's Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. We're really glad you're with us. Hey, as we celebrate the moms in our life, those who have done some good mothering, we also want to acknowledge that this can be a hard day for people, too. Whether it's because of loss or this deep desire to be a mom or maybe a broken relationship, just know that we stand with you as a community while we celebrate those moms in our life. So glad to have you with us tonight. Hey, we've been in a sermon series based on Steve Ween's book, Shining Like the Sun, Seven Mindful Practices for Rekindling Your Faith. And it's been an awesome series. Personally, I've loved it. I've, we've had the time during the pandemic to sort of pause and put into practices the practices, so that's been super cool. Two weeks ago, Matt talked about the practice of attentiveness, that idea that we are fully present to what's right in front of us. And then last week, he had an amazing sermon on the practice of ordinariness and that idea of returning to our true self. But tonight, we're gonna talk about the practice of simplicity. And there's a little more to it than you first think about, but, um, it's a practice that I think is important to all of us in our life of faith. So this is what Steve Weens has to say about the practice of simplicity. Simplicity, to touch life deeply in every moment. I practice simplicity, giving unambiguous yeses and unapologetic noes in ways that leave margin and space. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that, I think of this, you want the full life? Then practice good boundaries. And hey, I could talk boundaries all night to you guys, and I promise I won't, but for about 20 years, I taught a class on boundaries every fall to the lay care ministry um, during their fall training. And I'll tell you, um, boy, do I know up here what it means to, hey, this is my yard, this is my fence, and I'm in charge of it. Also, guess what, we've got a gate and I can control that gate and I can let the good in and I can let the bad in. And we need to set those mental and intellectual, physical, the spiritual boundaries that allow us to have a full and whole life, the kind of life that God has called us to. And I love this idea of, um, I know what's mine to carry, what's not. In my family, we do a lot of this kind of language. Hey, you're out of your lane. That's in my lane, not your lane. And so we use that kind of language to do that. So when I think about that, I think, okay, I got this, this practice of simplicity, but I got to tell you, I don't. It's a lot harder than you think. And Steve, when he talks in the book about just all the choices we have, too many choices and all the busyness and all the craziness, um, here's what he has to say. And I think it's really powerful. I don't want to live off the grid, but I, I do want to be able to reclaim where my grid ends and where everybody else's grid begins. I need to touch my edges. I love that. I think that is so beautiful. But what, what it got me thinking was, well, if I have to reclaim something, then I must have lost something. So where along the way did we all lose this ability for unambiguous yeses and unapologetic noes? And what I started thinking about was my granddaughter, Sam. Sam is seven months old and Trust me, we've been spending a lot of time with Sammy because during the pandemic, um, it is now down to Sammy and her parents for the people that we can see within our family. And one of the fun things to watch about Sam is that this little girl at seven months old with no language skills already can communicate to us 
her yeses and her noes. Take a look. <laughs> And as you watch this video, isn't it amazing that de developmentally this kid, she's learning this whole um, idea of differentiating self from others. And that is such a cool thing. But she is so good at letting us know exactly what she likes, exactly what she doesn't like. And when she is tired or needs a diaper change or she's hungry, you know it. She's not afraid to express what she needs. So where along the way did we lose just that very thing? Well, here's what I've been thinking about. I know this stuff, right? I've got lots of life experience. As Matt always reminds me, I have lots of life experience. And I am quite aware that for every yes that I say, I'm actually saying a no as well. And it reminds me of a story from a few years ago. My daughter Annie was getting married and she had her wedding dress fitting. I was in the middle of walking alongside someone pastorally that was dying of cancer and she was a young mom and she had an eight and a 10 year old. And um, the day came for Annie's dress fitting. But I got called to the hospital to visit this family. Now this mom at that time had three to five months to live. And so I said to Ann, hey, I'm gonna stop at the hospital and then you pick me up on your way. Things changed when I got to the hospital. I was called into the room and I was informed that they just found out that she actually just had three to five days to live. And they asked me to stay. And in that moment, I had to make a really difficult decision. I had to figure out where I was gonna say my yes and who was gonna get my no. And I made the decision to stay with the family and miss out on Annie's dress fitting. And while that all worked out in the end, I had a colleague, a mentor really a week later that stopped into my office and just said, Deb, I just wanted to let you know that I think um, you'll never get back that time you could have had with Annie, but you maybe could have done something different at the hospital. You could have had one of the other pastors visit, or you could have told the family, hey, I'm gonna come back in a few hours. And I was so grateful to Dan Anderson, the pastor that had the courage to speak to me in love, to speak truth in love, um, and help me learn a lesson, a really hard but holy lesson that has made me thoughtful when I make decisions and when I've made decisions since then. It was a pretty cool thing. But I was thinking about, so if we do know these things, but they're hard to live out, what are some of the things we can remind ourselves of? as we talk about this, and I think there's two things that are really important, and that is we are created in the image of God. And God himself, the concept of boundaries actually comes from the nature of God. Because what God tells us is that he is a very uh, distinct being, a distinct being that is responsible for himself. And scripture tells us all the things that God likes and dislikes, God's plans, God's feelings, what works for God, what doesn't work for God, boundaries. That's what that's about. 
And the other thing I think that's important to us is that we are a community of people that are committed to practicing the ways of Jesus. That's part of our mission statement. And I gotta tell you this, Jesus is really good at his yeses and nos. And so I guess that's what we better be practicing. Because when we look at Jesus throughout scripture, we can see that he didn't hesitate to take time away from others and uh, place himself in solitude so that he might have time with God. And the beautiful thing about that is that Jesus lived in this rhythm of life that kept him connected to God. And out of that came this way of life. He was able to live out grace and truth in a way um, of generosity and love for others that were in need or in crisis situations. So it's cool to look at you know, practicing those same ways of Jesus. And the other thing was Jesus didn't always do what everybody wanted him to do. And I think that's one of the challenges for us. I also wanted to mention before we jump into our scripture for the evening that you can see stories throughout scripture about Jesus and Jesus holding boundaries. That There's that story in Luke 5, you know the one where Jesus heals the man with leprosy and then all of a sudden there's all this crowd of people and they ha are really desperate for healing. And Jesus takes a look and he decides to pull away. That's surprising, isn't it? But he took the time he needed to refuel and refocus. And despite all those needs that were pressing in, here's what Luke says about that in Luke 5:16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He did what he needed to do. We see a similar story in Mark. Uh, Jesus gets up early in uh, the middle of the night practically and he goes off to a solitary place to pray. And all of a sudden, Simon and, and friends are looking all over for him. And when he, they find Jesus, in a panic almost, it's like, Jesus, everybody's been looking for you. And here's Jesus' response. This is from Mark 138. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Isn't that amazing? Jesus wasn't doing what everyone told him to do. Jesus was on a mission. He was doing what he needed to do and he wasn't afraid to say so and to do so. Tonight, we're looking at the story of Jesus calming the storm out of Mark chapter four. And Jesus is out all day, preaching and teaching. And it's the end of the day. And here we are in four uh, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The symbolism behind the story of Jesus calming the storm is really of great comfort and encouragement 
to all of us. And actually this story is a good story for the times that we're in with the pandemic, because I feel like for a lot of us, um, we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of the storm. And that idea of God with us is really a powerful one and really an important one. Peace, and peace came. Peace came to the waves and the wind and to all the people on the boat. But I think this story really ties to what we're talking about tonight. It ties to a God who is really aware of his own edges. He's touching his own edges. He knows where he ends and the next starts. And we get to witness that in this story. Jesus had come from a full day of teaching and training. A lot of people, a lot of needs. I imagine that he was exhausted physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And after a hard day's work, he needed to rest, refuel, recharge, take care of himself. So he lays himself down on that boat and he sleeps. And then we see that the disciples panic. And I kind of imagine that they're, they have all this disbelief that Jesus could actually sleep through the storm. But here's the thing. Jesus was doing the thing that he needed to do so that he could do the next thing well. And we all know that Jesus continued to do a lot of things after this thing. Matter of fact, as the story goes on, the next morning Jesus goes across that lake and he actually heals a demon-possessed man. Jesus wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to disappoint. He wasn't afraid to offend others especially for the sake of doing the things that he needed to do to stay healthy, to stay on mission, and to love other people. I think there are two questions, though, that come out of this story that I think are not only important to the story, but important for us and important in this conversation around the practice of simplicity. And here's the first question, and it's from Mark 4:40b. Jesus says this, why are you so afraid? That's the question of the hour, my friends. That's the thing behind the thing. Well, yes, we need awareness and intentionality. I think we really need to ask the question of why are our yeses, those clear yeses, and those confident, comfortable noes so hard for us to come by? And it's interesting when we think about it because we've been given messages our whole life that have to do with our own boundaries. I think sometimes our boundaries are pushed and challenged and even run over. We've been taught to feel guilty if we say no. And okay, it's Mother's Day. Women, I think for us it's even a lot harder because the messages that we've gotten are that we need to be accommodating, selfless, not to be confused with the choice to set self aside when we serve and love others, but selfless. We need to be good, not angry, quiet, not loud. And every time we swallow that, that we live in that, we pay a price. We pay a heavy price, and that price just might include the inability to touch our own edges to maybe not even know what those edges are anymore. And I know for me, I'm a people pleaser. I have been my whole life, and even though as I've gotten older, I've gotten better, I do hate, I hate disappointing people. I hate maybe making people angry. 
And if people need me, I should say yes, right? And those are the things that we get caught up in. This idea that somehow it's selfish. It's not nice to say no to people that are hurting or have needs. And let's not forget that we have the added burden of our Christian faith. Because if you're a good Christian, we can just fill in the blank on that. We so often get that message mixed up, that idea that of course we help others carry their burdens. But it's not ours to carry, it's God's. But underneath those messages, it is the question, what are we afraid of? And I think we all have answers to that question. And I think they can be things like the fear of rejection and the fear of abandonment and the fear of making someone mad or the fear of hurting someone or the fear of losing a relationship, the fear of being a bad person, the fear of not being a good enough Christian, the fear of not being enough or maybe being too much. I think the reason we have trouble with clear yeses and unapologetic noes is that we're afraid. We are simply afraid. And the only way to dispel that fear is to answer the second question in this story. This, the question that comes out of Mark 4, 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. Who then is this? It's that question. That when we answer that question, we know who we are and whose we are. And it's then and only then that the storm of our soul is calm. That that fear is dispelled. As we tackle this practice of simplicity, I've got an ask of you guys this week. A little homework, if you will. And here's the question to ponder. What are you willing to say no to so you can create space to say yes to what you really want? Let's all take that on and see where it takes us. And as we head into this week, so grateful to be in it together and I wish you all a happy Mother's Day. I'm gonna end with a video clip that I think uh, really tells the story that I've been trying to communicate well about the fear underneath our inability to sometimes say our clear yeses and our unapologetic noes. And it, it's a video clip from a show that my daughter's got me going on and it's called New Amsterdam. It's about a inner city hospital in New York. One of the characters, Iggy, is a psychiatrist and he's married to a man, um, Martin, and they've got this great life together. They've adopted four kids and they have these big hearts and do all this stuff, but Iggy in particular has trouble saying no. He has such a tender heart and loves to help everything and everyone all the time. And he gets himself in a bit of trouble because he goes ahead and puts in for uh, adopting a fifth child, but he doesn't tell Martin because he's a little bit afraid. And Martin finds out uh, when the social worker calls and says, your baby's here. And uh, here's where the clip starts, where they are having a conversation together. And in that conversation, we find out a little bit about why it's so hard for Iggy to say no. So we'll end on that and uh, go from there.
How do you feel when you help someone? Um, like I'm here for a reason. So how do you feel when you don't? Well, everyone in the department heard about the time that you gave your shoes to a homeless man. Well, imagine that you just walked by him. How would you have felt? Like a bad person. And I would have been. He needed shoes. That's what you do. Well, a lot of people walk by him. Are they all bad people? No. Not at all. So why are you? Can you try and list three good things about <clears throat> yourself that have nothing to do with helping? Three things that would be great about yourself if you never adopt another kid or rescue another goat. How about one thing? Dr. Fromm, what do you think would happen if you stopped helping people? They'd see, um... Vicky, what would they see? They would see what a complete loser I am. Just corny, nerdy, fat, worthless, nothing. Baby. No, I, I Martin, I, I, I know it's not healthy. And I, I have this voice in my head and it's a really loud one. Uh, and it's saying that one of these days you're going to realize that you can do so much better than me. My ability to help people. That's all I have. That's the, that's the only thing I even like about myself. Without that, I just can't think of a reason why you would keep me around. I can't. Dr. Fromm, I'm going to ask Martin to do something now, and it would be great if you could just sit and listen. Is that okay? Okay. Martin, will you tell your husband three things that you think are good about him? You're kind. You are a wonderful father. And you are beautiful. You're hilarious. You're patient. You're smart. You make friends everywhere you go, because they see what I see. You shine. You're amazing. You're the love of my life. And my life is so much better than I ever thought it was going to be because of you, Iggy. I love you. I love you.